she's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. everyone welcome back to the body serve i'm james and i'm jonathan and this is our french open preview episode now the way this episode is going to work is a little bit different we are going to talk about the men's draw some of the major stories going on and we're going to break and uh we're having an interview with caitlin thompson who you may know as the co-host of the main draw but she's also uh starting a new tennis magazine that we're going to be talking about which you may have also heard about this week because there has been it was launched this week, and this episode is actually brought to you by Racket Magazine. Yeah, we have a sponsor for the first time ever. Yeah, for the next few episodes, you'll be hearing quite a bit about the about Racket Mag from us, mostly because it's a project that we're very interested in, that we think will fill a vacuum in the tennis media landscape. So yeah, we'll let the, inter- the interview speak for itself, uh, but stick around. That's going to be the middle section, and then after that, we'll be talking about the women's draw. So why don't we get right into the pretty horrible news, well, depending on who you are, of Roger Federer withdrawing for the first time in 65 straight majors. You had said to me privately that you can't believe how saddened you were by the news. And I I shared that sentiment. Mm-hmm. It made me maybe a little bit sad. I definitely wasn't devastated by it because it meant that Rafa was then the fourth seed. Right. And as it turned out, (laughs) means that he'll face Novak one round later. (laughs) Of course. Because they were drawn in the same half. But tennis is going to miss Roger. I mean, it's an amazing streak. And my first reaction was, wow, you know, this is kind of the end of an era. It only actually occurred to me a little bit later that... Oh, Rafa's going to get the four seed. That's cool. You're so much better than I am. Yeah, I am. (laughs) Just less selfish, you know? (laughs) Roger withdrawing also led to a hashtag on Twitter. Something like hashtag last time Roger Federer missed a slam. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people were talking about Britney Spears and all the pop culture stuff that was going on back in 1999. And the first thing that came to my mind was, well, what was Mariah up to back then? like well i know about rainbow the album all that stuff yeah (laughs) and but what really came to my mind was mariah and whitney being all chummy chummy at the oscars (laughs) because they performed together Mm. when when you believe duet anyway that's a bit of a side i i remember being a freshman in high school i mean it's really strange to be going into a major and not having roger federer there and he you know he needs to take care of his body And this is probably the least likely slam that he will win. But it's it's a huge, huge gap. And I was really saddened to see him out of the mix. It made sense to me. And there was some there was kind of a Roger watch for the first few days um, of this week. People wanting to know, is he even on site yet? Because he played around, beat Zverev and then lost in Rome. Mm -hmm. And he had to withdraw from Monte Carlo. So uh, he's had very sporadic showings on the clay court season this year. And with only a quarterfinals to defend from last year, 360 points, there really was no point 
risking further injury by playing this tournament. Yeah, especially outside, at this age. Outside of the streak. Because even if he felt he was good enough to go for the first round, like there was no guarantee that he'd be with a back situation feeling okay to play again in the second mm. round or the third round. And from all reports, the weather is just dreadful in Paris right now, right. which again doesn't help with warming up the back situation. Mm-hmm. And like arthritis and stuff. Because he's is he old. is he old enough for that? He's only three years older than <laughs> you are. Oh my god! Shut up. <laughs> well, four, maybe four. So Roger's out. That means Novak and Rafa are in the top half of the draw, with Stan and Murray being the top seeds in the bottom half. Well, by now you've all heard about Rafa's really horrific draw. And, I mean, I don't think it's dramatic to say that it's shockingly horrible. <laughs> Actually, Would you agree? I disagree. Really? Yeah. Because Fonini hasn't been doing anything. At this point, he's just a name from Rafa's past, his tragic past. Right. Could cause some demons. But Fonini really only wins a first round match when he has the prospect of facing Rafa later. Okay. But Rafa is playing like a different Rafa now. Okay. I'm just saying, like, the team's Zverev situation, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But that also makes me feel they're playing in the final tomorrow. Right. So they're going to be potentially a little bit tired. And also, the last time I saw Dominic team play in Rome, it didn't go so well. Mm-hmm. And the shine that I had in the way I, I viewed him tennis-wise... Got a little bit dull. Well, he's been playing a lot of tennis on clay. And I really think that he needs to rethink his schedule. He's prone to long moments of of sporadic play. Mm. And that just won't fly against an opponent like Rafa who is playing well. The Rafa that he beat early in the year is not the same Rafa that, that we're seeing now. No, definitely not. And the Rafa that we're hoping might win this tournament will benefit from getting tested early on. He'll have the extra day to recover. He would just, I imagine, love a tough three, four set match against team where he gets to work out some more kinks. Because as as tough as he played Djokovic in Rome, he's still a little bit away from his ideal form. And this is the kind of scenario that could play him into that kind of shape by the time he gets to Novak in the semifinal, potentially. Okay. And that's my anxiety level is lessened to by the fact that we're playing best of five. For somebody to actually win three sets against Rafa on mm. clay, only two men have done it. Novak last year and Soderling in 2009. So I'll hang my hat on the fact that Rafa's playing that much better. He could have had Novak's early round draw. That would have been nice. Yeah, that would have been nice, right? But I think that's more what it is. You're a little bit more turned well, at Nole's. In contrast, it's just shocking. Because let's let's look at Novak's for a second. And I know this sounds like sour grapes, but it's really crazy. So he gets Lou in the first round. He gets one of two qualifiers in the second round. And then Del Bonis is his, uh, third, his third round, which is the 31 seed. So you actually could only get one seed lower in the third round. And then uh, Bautista Agut, if he gets there, who is the first... 14 seed, right? Because we're assuming Tomic will be long on by right. then. I mean, it could be Korich. I have no idea. Or it could you be know? Fritz. Who knows? Mm, it's a yeah, type of se- I it's highly a, doubt It's that. a type of section of a draw where somebody could bust through, you know? Right. But honestly, it'll be nice for whomever gets to the fourth round, but they have absolutely no chance against Djokovic, so just enjoy it. And then, 
And then you have Ferrer and Burditch. Which, honestly, I have absolutely no idea what to expect. Because Ferrer is, you know, maybe not in form, but he's, he's still... No, he's in pretty bad form. <laughs> like, he's been recovering from injury. He was very close to losing to Istaman two days ago mm. before Istaman had to withdraw, retire from that match. And, and then he, he went to, on to lose today. To Chilich today, yeah. yeah. The last time we saw Burdich, or Berdic, sorry, he was copping a double bagel to Debbie oh Goffard. Oh my god. So what in the actual hell is yeah. going on there? I mean, Burdich might not get past Vashek Pospisil in the first round. Or Cuevas in the third round. <laughs> I I do think that Burdich will be a little bit motivated to put that double bagel behind him because it was like the double bagel heard around the world. It's really embarrassing. So we forgot to talk about this on the last podcast. That is that was one of the most embarrassing results I've ever seen in tennis. Yeah, because absolutely shocking because for a top he wasn't injured. Player. No, you know, and Goffin's reaction after it was over was just like, "Well, that happened." He's like, "Is it over?" And I mean, I saw a headline that said Tomas Berdych could not counter Goffin's power. I'm like, "What?" I don't. know. I'm sorry. The whole thing was Berdych is very like perplexing. six foot six. Because Goffin is a good player, but he's right. not a great player, not yet at least. But this this man can't counter the little runt's power, really? <laughs> Come on now. That's so embarrassing. He does generate a fair bit of pace on his strokes from his timing. Right. But he's not a brute force power guy to just blow you off the court <laughs> no. the way somebody like Kyrgios can. So I would say, you know, aside from Djokovic's little section, his quarter is... Totally up in the air and not super challenging. It's beautiful for him, really. Yeah. Now, we have seen this work against him before. A few years ago, well, the big problem is if he has an extra day off. You know, he benefited from a walkover a few years ago, and that really just messed up his tournament. And he ended up losing to Rafa. I don't remember which year it was. Yeah, but he just doesn't lose in early rounds of Grand Slams anymore. No. So. And if he does get knocked out, it's to a big name player. So Nadal... Potentially gets team in the fourth round or Zverev. Or Kevin Anderson. No. I'm si no, listen. Team and Zverev are playing in a final, as you said, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. There's really no guarantee that Zverev is going to make it out of the first round. That would be the case for any, pretty much any other player. Clay's not Kevin Anderson's bag. Okay. <laughs> and he's coming off injury. Mm. So I just don't see him being that guy. Over five sets on clay just yet. All right. I mean, I guess youth is going to have to work in Zvera's favor because he and team have been playing a lot of tennis this spring. And I think team probably didn't expect to win as many matches as he did. So he's playing a lot more than maybe he's he also he would. the defending champion this week. So he felt compelled to play. Right. I'm assuming. We talked about this on the last episode as well. I think you overestimate the effect of playing the week before. I do. I'm especially a big on clay, for me at least. Because a lot of these folks don't they need the repetition on clay to be ready for Roland Garros. And once you get to the slam, you're playing every other day. So I mean unless mm. you're playing ugh, like Novak Nishikori type matches back to back. Right. Like Novak was doing in Rome. It can be manageable. They're also not traveling from Monte Carlo to Rio. That's true. In between yeah. tournaments, you know? So 
I just, I do have to question the wisdom of playing the week before if you are, say you're a top 10 seed. So Ferrer is playing in, where? It was playing in Nice. Chilich, Stan, I mean, the defending champion of Roland Garros mm-hmm. is playing in Geneva, which is his home country, fine. Appearance fee, probably pretty big. But is this the ideal preparation and are the costs worth the benefits I don't know. I just, I feel like when you've reached this level, you really have to think hard about your scheduling. I'm Vinci's playing the week before as well. You know, you have a quarter to yourself now. Yeah, you know? Vinci is not going anywhere. Vinci had one magical run and that's it. That's all it will be. Well, yes, Have you I seen agree. her career statistics? Like, <laughs> she should make that money this week if she can. But my, to your point, I think it's, your point makes sense, A, on other surfaces and B, with other players. Ferrer needs the match practice. He hasn't played much. Mm. Stan hasn't had a great spring. No, he hasn't. And But he's also old. He's 31. That's old. He had a lot of <laughs> wasted time in his youth. <laughs> he was still playing. He just wasn't winning as much. We're, we're not going to see eye tie on this All one. right. Now, you know, of course, what everyone is talking about is Novak's just cursed, quixotic quest for a Roland Garros crown, right? And we were speaking with Caitlin today, and Caitlin was suggesting that this is not Novak's year, (laughs) that this is a really difficult tournament for him, and it seems like something is always going wrong. And obviously he puts a lot of pressure on himself to win the French, because it's kind of what stands in the way of him being one of the goats, right? Well, I had I had said to her, and you're like giving away the interview. Oh God! <laughs> I had said to her that it's one of one of my favorite parts of Roland Garros every year, and this is the fifth year running now where Djokovic will be trying to complete the career Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously something that means a whole lot to him, as it should, and it's become a mental block for him, right? On some level, and so the bad mindedness of myself. <laughs> Every year now, every spring, this is one of my favorite parts of Roland Garros because I get to watch that unfold. Now, when, and I do believe it's a when, Novak wins the French Open, that will be, I guess, my comeuppance. Oh, yeah. And it's really going to hurt when it happens. At least it won't happen against Rafa in the final if it does happen this year. (laughs) At least. But, I mean, we saw him utterly spiral out of control last week at Rome. And uh, he has got to hope, his camp has got to hope that he's on better behavior at the French. I I don't think they're concerned or bothered by it at all. Okay, but he could have won Rome and he didn't because he was distracted. So they do have to hope that he's fully invested. Enough about Novak, really. <laughs> Fair. Like, I'm trying to, like, put him out of my mind until I have to deal with him come the semifinals, hopefully. On the other half of the draw, there are a lot of wide open spaces, as Natalie Maines would say. And do you want to share who that is, in case people don't know? So that people can make a few mistakes. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you actually emphasize the miss in mistake, because that's how it is in song. It's the Dixie Chicks, just in case uh, y'all don't know. You don't need to explain that. If they don't know, they don't know. Shame on them. The The third quarter... Or the third, what is it? Yeah, the yeah, third, the third quarter. quarter. It is... matches Djokovic's. Not 
as much, but it, I, th- I think it's the second easiest quarter in the men's draw. Yeah, it's very, very unpredictable. So the first thing that really stuck out to me is that Dimitrov is unseated. When did that happen, and how did I miss that? You were asleep at the wheel. Apparently I was, and I'm one half of a tennis podcast, and I was like <laughs> totally surprised by this. Uh, but I was reading an article, and it said, oh, Chilich is, or Dimitrov is facing 22 seed in the first round. I'm like, that's totally wrong. You're obviously talking about the third round. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> so he's facing Troisky in the first round. Uh, it kind of sucks for both of them, to be honest. Diego Schwartzman is going to be playing Guido Pea in the first round, mm-hmm. two Argentinians who've had pretty decent results on clay this year. That'll, that'll be unfortunate for them. <laughs> I feel like Schwartzman has a really good chance to get to the fourth round. Why not? Because you have this uh, Grigor Victor Troisky first round match. You have Gilles Simon, who I don't really know what to expect, honestly. But Schwartzman has been in really good form on clay this year. And then in the other section, literally anyone could make the quarters from the top. You have Raonic, who's coming off a back injury, who's not at his best on clay. There's Luca Pui, who's kind of a lot of people's dark horse pick. There's Jack Sock. There's Marin Cilic, who's in a final this week. Honestly, I feel like any of those four can make the quarters and I would not be surprised. And even if it was someone who wasn't one of those four, I wouldn't be surprised. Jack Sock, I was looking at it and I was like, oh, you know, Jack Sock's got a pretty decent shot to make a run here. And I went and looked at his results, his Grand Slam timeline. It's like, well, not much of an opportunity when you're <laughs> defending fourth round points from last year. Right. And so say, yes, he gets through Raonic and into the quarterfinals. He'll then meet up with Stan, most likely. Oh, yeah. And I can't say, <laughs> you got to give it to Stan in that scenario. And I mean, Stan has a cakewalk to the quarters. I'd be shocked if Stan didn't make it to the semis. Yeah, I would. Yeah. On the bottom half of the bottom half. <laughs> <laughs> the final quarter. Yeah. There's a lot more intrigue there. <laughs> the, one of the things that jumped out for me was Dolgopolov withdrew, right? And so his spot in the draw, there had to be a little bit of a a shuffling of the draw. And so Steve Johnson was moved from his little section where he was scheduled to play Feliciano Lopez in the first round. And now he's going to have to play Fernando Verdasco in the first round. Mm -hmm. I guess it's like they decide, well, this is probably the way we could least affect the dynamic of the draw. (laughs) Right. Same, same, a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Kyrgios has a pretty good shot to make a run here. He could get Kei Nishikori in the fourth round. That's doable. Mm, I don't think it's doable. Okay. See, I we don't make predictions anymore as a rule, you know, but I, well, I kind of did. I broke the rules a little bit. So I have Kyrgios in the fourth round losing to Nishikori because I think... The way that Kay played Novak in Rome is going to give him confidence in this tournament. And I realize that he hasn't always been a Grand Slam player. You know, that he has a lot of great results outside of the slams. But, I mean, Clay is Kay's surface. It's where he, I feel like everything about his game looks the best. I just don't trust him. I don't trust him over five <laughs> sets. 
I don't trust him on clay over five sets. I don't trust him on anything over five sets. Okay. He's had one result in Grand Slams where he's made it past the quarterfinals. And that was the 2014 US Open when he made the final. Right. And somebody of his caliber should be doing it more often. Maybe this is a start of something. But I'd be more inclined to have somebody else make that run than him. Okay, if I were to put fair. all my marbles or balls into some bucket or something and make mm-hmm. a wager of some sort, it wouldn't be on Kane Shikori. Despite how impressed I've been with him this this spring. Because he's had, save for, save for who? Save for Rafa and Mari and Djokovic. I mean, Djokovic had the early loss in Monte Carlo. So mm-hmm. he kind of like disqualifies himself from being at the top of the clay performers this spring. But save for Mari and Nadal, Nishikori's right there. He made two finals and two semifinals in the clay swing. Yeah. And he really only lost to the top guys. That's what I'm saying. You just don't trust him in I don't. big matches. No. Which is fair. I can't really argue and against over five that. sets. Right. Because he's not going to be beating these guys in straight sets. Like no. the top guys. It's just not happening. No. Who's got a nice little chance to get to the fourth round? Mr. Benoit Pair. Uh, yeah. And Andy Murray has like a clear shot to the quarters. I mean, we're saying this, but like if you're the two seed, you should have a clear shot to the quarters. Mm-hmm. Like that's how these draws are arranged, right? And I feel like the draws are generally too easy on top seeds because... You know, now there's 32 seeds. The way that the seeds are arranged in the draw is very, very controlled. You know, so you can only play certain seeds in the third round and the fourth Mm -hmm. round. So I I feel like the Grand Slams could stand to be a little more unpredictable seed-wise. But that being said, Murray has a really easy draw to the quarterfinals. I mean, he's got Karlovich, who's like 45 years old, but who is still seeded, by the way. Good on him, because he was out for a long time uh, last year with an injury, or the year before. There's, as you said, Benoit Paire, there's John Isner, who is surprisingly good on clay, even though he doesn't look like he should be. I mean, the, the serve will get you places, right. regardless, you know. Other first-round matches of note, uh, Borna Koric will be playing Taylor Fritz. You had talked before of Pospisil and Burdick. Mm-hmm. Grenoyer was, will be playing Fonini. Zverev will play Herbert, who's had a pretty decent run this spring. He who is more known as the... Well, he's the other half, the other half of, of the, the great the, doubles team. Yes. Mahu and himself. Pierre Ugg. <laughs> Cole Schreiber gets Almagro. That one sucks. That, <laughs> that really sucks for Cole Schreiber. And... Well, I should note, in spite of Murray's easy draw, he does have to play Radek Stepanek, who qualified, who I think is like 38 now. He's 37. And like 37. Like what? It'll be 6'4", 6'4", 6'4". No, but, well, he did take Murray to three sets in Madrid this year. You know, so he's always a wild card. I mean, I don't expect anything super yeah. crazy. You know, I don't expect I've a I've just seen a lot match. of headlines saying, oh my God, I'm just like, right. chill. It's just like a name you cannot forget, and certainly a face you can't forget. And we know about his Lothario Mm -hmm. reputation, in spite of that face. Bottom line for me with the men's draw, I'd be shocked out of my mind if anybody outside of the top four seeds won this tournament. I'd be blown Mm -hmm. away. 
I honestly, looking at this draw, I would be surprised if the top four seeds didn't make the semis. You're getting into that prediction territory <laughs> again. So you just made a prediction. Not a prediction, just a thought. Okay. Other withdrawals on the men's side broke my heart because I was looking forward to watching him play in Paris this year after he'd had such a great and consistent run to start 2016. Gamo Fis mm-hmm. had to withdraw. Who, I mean, this is his best major. He plays well here. He had some kind of viral infection or something that had him in the really? hospital. It was really, it's, it's just awful. God. Such bad luck. What is with these viral infections? Such bad luck. Dolgopolov is out. Federer is out. There may be other people, but we can't pay attention to everything that happens in tennis. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. So we're going to break from the draw and the French Open preview. And we're going to bring you that interview with Caitlin Thompson now. She is the co-founder of Racket Magazine, a new literary publication. She's also the co-host of the Main Draw Tennis Podcast, so uh, our colleague across the airwaves. And she's from Montreal. She's a fellow Canadian. And without further ado, here's Caitlin. Joining us right now is Caitlin Thompson. Welcome to The Body Serve. Hi, how's it going, guys? Great. Thank you so much for coming on. We're really excited to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, seeing as though this is the start start of the French Open, I saw on Twitter, I believe it was you, I don't know if it was David or Dave, but somebody said they were pretty sure Andy Moore was going to win. <laughs> I think it's the case. If I had to be pinned down for a pick, I actually think Novak is going to be denied yet again from winning at the French. And I think <laughs> Andy, Andy's had a good couple of weeks, hasn't he? You know, he came really close to Madrid and that Rome final was a real masterpiece. I think he moves better on clay. And I think he's got Novak's number. I think he can he can go. Novak's a bit defensive on clay, and I think Murray has proven that he's willing to be both patient but also assertive, which he hasn't always been when he's played Novak. So Andy's my pick. I'm rooting for him with every fiber in my body. How about you guys? <laughs> well, we're we're partial to Rafa. That's just the way it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, but we. Oh, have that's sort of... nice. that makes me sad. You guys a little bit. Do you got it in him? <laughs> We do love Andy, though. We love Andy. If somebody were to win other than Rafa, it would be Andy. Yeah, he would be my solid number two. Fantastic. That's how I feel about Rafa. I would love to see him win another one. Okay. I don't I don't think he's going to get out of the quarters, to be totally honest. But, you know, I wouldn't be sad if, if he were the one collapsing on the Terabetu there on the last day. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mari gets a, a bad rap for that Rome final because people just assume that Novak was spent and had nothing to give, you know, but he played an awesome match. I think I think people who say that are wrong. And I think, yeah, sure, that Nishikori match that Djokovic had the day before was a good one. Actually, frankly, Nishikori should have won that match. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, Novak has played the longest Grand Slam final, at least on the men's side, in history. He's, he's the fittest guy on the tour. I don't think it was about fitness. I think it was about Andy Murray's decided that he can be the aggressor. I think you saw an emotional shift, and that, to me, is what is exciting about the prospect of those two facing off again. One of the fun parts for me about Roland Garros every year is, and we've seen this now, what, five years in a row, no Novak trying to win the French Open. It's such a <laughs> mental battle for him. Uh-huh. And people talk all the time about popcorn moments in tennis. This is my biggest popcorn moment. <laughs> 100%. I agree. This is my favorite tournament by far. This is, I, this is the one that I get the most excited about. It's the time of year. It's the fashion. And the popcorn moments, They're, they are never more exciting than they are at Roland Garros to me. And I think you're right. Novak 
Novak struggles are super popcorn worthy. (laughs) (laughs) So evil. Um, Now, do you have a a pick for the more uh, confounding women's draw? Yeah, the women's draw is confounding, isn't it? I actually think, um, well, first of all, Vika kind of got a bad draw. Anybody in Serena's half always gets a bad draw. Vika, I think, has a real chance. Um, I think Serena was kind of lucky to win that Rome match, to be honest. I think she hasn't had a great clay court season, but it's Serena, so you know she she can unhinge her jaw and devour anyone, yeah. you know, at any moment of any match, pretty much. Um, I love watching Garbina Muguruza. She's exciting. She's got all the weapons, and remember, she beat Serena on clay a couple years ago. So I actually uh-huh. I would love to see her make a deep run. I think the the women's game has gotten a lot more interesting in the last six months, um, and I, I would love to see uh, a Vika or or Moogs give Serena a run for her money. But, you know, if, if Serena wins, this is number 22, isn't it? Like, this is the one that it we is, all thought yeah. she was going to win at the U.S. Open. So either way, I think the women's side is going to be popcorn-worthy as well. So, you know, this is just the best time of the year. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be talking to you guys about it. And I'm so excited we all get to watch starting, you know, Sunday, right? Right. And the people who claim that women's tennis is struggling because there's no rivalry that there are so many sporadic winners, the draws get decimated every week. Those people are choosing not to see the depth and the greatness week to week in women's tennis. I think those people should be slowly fed to sharks while <laughs> being lowered on a, you know, lowered into a shark pool. I feel like those people are just will, you know, unwilling to acknowledge uh, what's happening before their eyes. I think those are the people who just, you know, go on the internet and hate women. Honestly, anybody else who exactly. loves tennis. You know, maybe you see something different in each of the games, but, you know, both of them have so much to offer. And the women's game is fantastically interesting. Like we just talked about, Serena might get 22. This could be a crowning moment, Um, you know, and there's also like a a young crop of of comers who are going to make it interesting. So there's not there's not bad tennis to be had anywhere. And I think uh, the people who don't see it don't want to see it. Here, here. Let's get into the reason why you're here. Yeah. Talk about racket mags. Racket Magazine. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about it. I'm pumped up. Um, you must, how are you doing, first of all? Because this must have been a whirlwind week for you. It's been a really intense week. David and I have been putting this together for the better part of a year. We had this idea. Actually, we were inspired um, both by a magazine that some people who might be body serve listeners who like soccer. Uh, and the magazine is uh-huh. called Howler. And it's a literary quarterly, heavy on an illustration really beautiful, lovely to touch in your hands, just like a nice physical thing. Um, and also by uh, a guy named Tyler Brule, who I don't think he's the coolest guy, but he's certainly very smart. And he founded something called Monocle. <laughs> and the guy who, you know, I don't know if you've ever picked up a Monocle. It's a little tough to read, to be honest. It's a lot of graphics and, and, and charts and this kind of stuff. But these are things that exist primarily in print. In, in Monocle's case, almost no no internet. Now you're thinking to yourself, we live in the digital age. Why wouldn't we be trying to go after everybody on the Internet? And the answer is we want people to find us on the Internet, but subscribe, not to read the wonderful in-depth features, look at the beautiful archival and new photography that we're going to commission, encounter the illustrations. We want people to hold this thing in their hand because it's going to be beautiful. And I think for us, the business model is you can either try to put something out on the internet every five seconds and hope to amass an audience of billions of people to make it worth um, the, an advertiser's time, or you can make something really special 
for a smaller number of people who really miss reading long, in-depth, beautiful writing about this game that we all love so much. And we think that there are hopefully 5,000 of those people, maybe even 50,000, but we don't need that many to be successful. And that's, you know, why I wanted to come and talk to you guys about it, because I think, you know, the people that are listening to the show, I'm hoping are, are excited about reading something really wonderful and, you know, uh, that takes advantage of the best of storytelling and, and journalism about this game that has so, you know, there's so many aspects of it that we don't talk about that much. It's global. It's modern. It's cool. There's all these buccaneering old stories that need to be resurfaced. There's fiction. You know, it's the world yeah. of tennis is much broader than than we all, all you you might assume based on what you read about it. And we wanted to pay writers and illustrators and photographers good money to do essentially their dream projects. And they said, yes. Tennis is such a a niche sport that one of the things that people I think miss or underestimate about the people who watch and listen to tennis podcasts and watch tennis matches is that we have very strong feelings about tennis. Oh my God. So I feel like this works because there are a lot of people who are inclined to really get into this stuff wholeheartedly, you know? That's the hope. I mean, also, like, tennis is so much more fun than people, than it might seem, you know? It's not this buttoned-up country club sport. There's wig snatching. There's, um, <laughs> you know, like, anybody who read the detente going on between Maria Sharapova and Serena a couple of years ago at Wimbledon might remember that, uh-huh. you know, things get feisty. There's a modern, you know, Drake shows up at Wimbledon. Like, let's let's talk about how cool this game is and how global it is and how modern it is. It's not a bunch of white people in starched shirts. But hey, white people in search shirts, you can still buy the magazine. We're not, we're not, (laughs) we're not biased. But you know, it's a lot cooler and I think it's a lot more dynamic and we want to tell those stories, you know, and, and that, I think you're right. I think there's a passionate group of people who share that same sentiment who maybe don't, don't have a place to find it now. What are some of the, the topics and, and theme stories that you're trying to address with Racket Mag? Do you have like a, a thematic way of looking at it going forward? Like what's your plan? We have a pretty thoughtful plan. Like I said, we've been doing this for about a year. We just launched our crowdfunding campaign, which might sound like we want charity, but actually we just want people to subscribe to the magazine for 50 bucks a year. That's what it's uh-huh. going to cost to get four of these things. Um, we want to address in each and every issue something about the geopolitics of tennis. And I can give a little bit away and say Carole Bouchard, who's one of um, France's most preeminent journalists. She writes a lot for L'Equipe and... Um, uh, here in the States. She writes for Sports Illustrated. She uh-huh. is t- talking about the crop of French tennis players who have kind of underperformed and why and what it is about the French character and national sentiment. Um, she's also got a big interview with Yannick Noah, who we decided early on was going to be one of our sort of spirit animals because he's so cool and so stylish and so charismatic. Maybe some could, he was an underachiever a little bit. Um, it was also really important to us to have a person of color addressing some of the racial angles of the French Davis Cup team and the uh-huh. modern conversation in France. Similarly, we're going to have uh, something geopolitical in every issue. That's important to us. We're going to have something that's sort of a, a snooty essay or a funny essay or a hot take essay in every in every piece. This particular issue is going to have Sasha Fur jones who's a notable music critic, but not a notable tennis writer, which is important to us too, um, talking about David Foster Wallace and maybe poking some holes in that mythology. So you don't have to be a tennis fan to to appreciate that kind of writing. And the fact that Sasha isn't a huge tennis fan, but he loves this conceit 
is important to us. Again, we don't, you don't need to pick up a racket and want to perfect your sliced backhand to enjoy what we're doing. So something written by a non-tennis person is really important to us to do. You know, and then we have some just great people. Jerry Maserati, who writes a lot about tennis. Um, we'll have Steve Tignor, I'm delighted to, to say, is going to do something for us as well. So we're going to have some meat and potato stuff, but a lot of fashion, a lot of history, and we're even going to have a weird book excerpt. So our hope is to do each of those things every issue to make it really beautiful and varied, you know, and, and fun to read. I have to say, I listened to your last Main Draw podcast, and when you mentioned the uh, Sasha Fur Jones piece about David Foster Wallace, I was very intrigued. Ooh, I'm uh, so glad. Is there any, uh, any tidbits that you can drop for us, or are you uh, still waiting on that piece? Well, I've seen an early draft of it, and I can tell you that, um, you know, Sasha is a bit of an iconoclast. He's a real character, as, as anybody who's been on the internet for the past week knows. Um, <laughs> and he is somebody who... Um, likes to sort of uh, take on, he, he's, he's in this particular piece sort of exploding the notion that anything can be inherently literary, right? Like okay. writing is literary. And I think there's this sort of generational reverence for David, David Foster Wallace that I actually share. I mean, when I'm trying to get people into tennis, I share that beautiful Federer essay with them. Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like it's a good onboarding piece to be like, no, 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 tennis is cool. Trust me, read this. You'll get it. Um, <laughs> we actually you know. experienced that in our personal lives with a friend who we took to tennis at the Rogers Cup a couple of years ago. And when he read that piece about Federer, he was just awed by it, you know, mm -hmm. and that exactly. much more interested in watching the tennis. Right. It's like when you when you understand a sport. For me, it was baseball. I never got it because I watched it on TV. It seemed so boring. And then I experienced it in person and said, oh, this is like a duel between the pitcher and the batter. I can <laughs> focus on something, you know, which sounds obvious. Tennis is so much better experienced in person also, which I think, you know, we, we could go into a whole thing about that and how it's hard to gain new fanship when you just have a one camera angle that's way up in the sky showing the ball going uh -huh. pretty slow when in reality it's not that. So, yeah, I... I love David Foster Wallace's writing on tennis, but I do think that there's a bit of a laziness to how much reverence he gets. And I think Sasha is going to get really into that and sort of explore masculinity and writerliness and the, the sort of band of Jonathan's that came out of Brooklyn that all kind of have a similar aesthetic not to point fingers. <laughs> so he's not the one to shy away from controversy. And we wanted to get, like I said, at least one of those kind of pieces in each issue. Um, uh -huh. And Sasha was really excited to write this one. So for me, we're going to try to give something to everybody, uh, you know, red meat, illustration, like I said, photography, and in that case, uh, a little controversy maybe in each issue. Do you, have, do you have any dream guests going forward, like people that you'd love to have working or contributing to the magazine? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I don't want to call her out, but there's a notable pro who is very erudite, who we've been trying very hard, and she indicated she might be up for doing it. Um, to write something about her life on the tour and just the experience of it. And, you know, I think what I loved so much about Andre Agassi's autobiography, I'm guessing you guys have both read Open. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's one of the best pieces of writing I've ever encountered, much less tennis writing, much less autobiography. You know what I mean? I mean, uh -huh. obviously, he had a ghostwriter. But, you know, what struck me about it is he was able to both experience excellence but also at the same time be self-aware enough to be able to articulate it. And I think in a lot of cases, somebody who's exceptional, certainly exceptional enough to make a living professionally as a tennis player or other athlete is so usually devoid of that kind of self-awareness yeah. and having somebody from the tour who 
really can explain what it means and what it is like to be in that rare air um, in a way that that makes sense intellectually is is something that I'm really constantly fascinated by. Honestly, because for me, I was a failed professional tennis player. And that sounds like I came close to being a professional tennis player, which I didn't. I made about $200 in tournaments when I was, you know, 18. Um, and I ended up, you know, getting a free ride to college playing tennis. So I was an okay player. But I think for me, I was always sort of consoled myself by saying, well, you know, if I had turned into a professional tennis player, I would be a total dummy and I would never read books and the life <laughs> of the mind would be kind of closed off to me. And so I'm intrigued by these few characters who seem to be able to be both things. And I would yeah. love to get um, a pro on the, on the tour to talk about that. And not, not to mention talking about being a woman playing in the Middle East and what that's like. And, mm-hmm. you know, not even the salacious gossip of the tour, just more, you know, the tour is really long. The season is crazy. You know, how is it to be both, uh, you know, a brand ambassador for a, a sport, but also have your own sort of interests and agendas? Like, there's all sorts of interesting stuff you can get into, and I would love to have a player. So that's my dream guest. What, what about you? What should I do, you guys? What What would you love to read about? <laughs> well, there, there are players that come to mind. I'm sitting here listening to you, and I'm thinking, well, Bartoli would be awesome. Ooh, she would be awesome. I haven't thought of her. Uh well Nicole Gibbs she's kind of sort of doing it right now on for WTA Insider right she is and yeah. she's got a very big profile at the moment yeah she'd be a good one to get I'll talk to Courtney about that who else well I'm thinking of all our dearly departed Grantland writers you know oh <laughs> I, yeah I've always loved Louisa Thomas's tennis writing uh but I like this you know your magazine's potential to get people outside of tennis you know just yeah. really exciting writers to give their take on the sport. Yeah, we are going to always make sure to have a lot of people who extend their reach well beyond the borders of our game, not because we don't love our game and the community, but because it'll help bring new people into the conversation. One of the, one of my dream guests is Zadie Smith. Um, oh, she's, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Right. Do I even have to say any more? <laughs> no. <laughs> right? Like, it would be amazing to have Zadie Smith. And I have a way that I could maybe try to get her, but we have to get off the ground and, and, and yeah. show her that we, we are a success before I can make that pitch. So there are people like that, that, you know, obviously Louisa Thomas was one of the first emails I sent. She ended up actually being busy right now. Um, she just published a book of her own, but I, I hope to have her in a future issue. But you're right. Like, any kind of author, thinker, writer, somebody who would really get us outside of, of our confines would be in my view you know good for the game good for the conversation um and in some cases getting uh somebody of note who can speak fluidly and masterfully and and appreciatively of this this wonderful game would just be so cool right like it's always fun to be like oh cool that person likes tennis that's so neat you know and that to me is david granger is, is a person who's sort of helped us in our early stages, and for people who don't know that, who that is, he um, is was the found was an editor of Esquire for about 18 years, and he did an amazing story with Andre Agassi. He and Agassi are pals, and he went on the tour for a little bit with Agassi and had a bet with him, where Agassi said, "We'll play a set, and I will, you will win three points because." <laughs> I'm going to surely make a few errors and David Granger hit one winner and therefore won the bet. And then Agassi doubled down and, 
beat him in the next set in eight minutes. You can actually hear the story oh told <laughs> by David Granger on the Esquire Classics podcast episode entitled String Theory. Um, you know, and David, I, that story came out 20 years ago. I would love for him to do, you know, something again with Andre where they sort of were reunited. There's like my list of dream contributors is about as long as you can imagine. So this is my dream to to get to work with them and send them emails saying like, hey, would you think about doing this? And so far, the answers have mostly been yes. Awesome. You were asking about what are some of the stories and topics we'd like to see covered. Something that's yes. always interested me and struck me as being totally undercovered in tennis is this whole issue of why don't we have an openly gay male player? Oh, great and question. At this point, at this point all I keep hear, hearing from people is, well, it's about time. There must be one. Tennis is ready. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's always been at the forefront of my mind is the ATP tour has to be ready to deal with this kind of situation. Because what happens when those players who are open go to the Middle East and go on plain tournaments yep. that aren't welcoming to openly gay people? There's so many different story that nobody's talking about. And all that's we get are... The Kafkas of the world saying, well, there are no gay players in the top 100. And then we laugh about it. And then there's some locker room jokes and then it goes away. (laughs) Right. Well, I think for me as a gay person, I can tell you that we all know statistically, you know, out of 100, like you're Uh going to have a few. I don't care (laughs) if that's 100 of the best tennis players in the world or 100 of your closest friends and family. Um, So, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think it would be fascinating. And I think a general conversation about sports and homophobia is always worth digging into, especially on the male side. So if I can think of like five or six different writers, I would want to dig into that. I will assign it in a heartbeat because I think you're right. It's a fantastic topic. And I think it really speaks to, you know, in North America, we're at a, at a certain place in that conversation In other parts of the world, they're in vastly different places. And I think an exploration of what that is and, and being a global body, the ATP has, you know, a lot of different relationships with a lot of different tournaments in a lot of different countries. And so, yeah, I think there's that's a ripe subject. So well, well noted. I will take that under advisement and add it to a future pitch list. And if one of you guys want to write it, be my guest. Wonderful. Can you tell us a bit about Dave, your, your co-founder in the Racket Magazine? Yes, Dave is great. He's um, the hairier one of the two of us. Um, <laughs> and he's a really, he's a great guy. He's one of my oldest friends. We uh, first started hanging out about 10 years ago here in New York. And he's a freelance journalist who writes a lot about tennis, actually a lot about travel, a lot about cars, um, a lot about all sorts of weird esoteric stuff. But he is a tennis journalist and tennis fan. And what made us want to do this is obviously, you know, we we saw there being a dearth of reliable, quality, long-form kind of stuff in this vein, but also like, we have an aesthetic that I think is that really straddles the line between an appreciation for a lot of the throwback, you know, cricket sweater, Bjorn Borg short short kind of look. Don't knock the short shorts. <laughs> I love the short shorts. As a matter of fact, Dave interviewed Novak Djokovic for the New York Times yes uh, last year, actually at the Coupe Roger, and um, he was asking Novak because he thought Novak was in a good position if he was interested in bringing back short shorts. I think it would be a fantastic sartorial <laughs> move. Don't you? It's I, I absolutely agree. I'm not sure Novak is the one to pull off the look, 
But well, based on his reaction, I, I'm in agreement with you. But I think some some brave soul can do it. Milos Raonic, actually, our and I say this as a partial Canadian, our countryman is um, a short shorts wearer, but only in practice. Oh, okay. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, look at practice pictures. Quality. He does <laughs> the gelled hair. He kind of has a 60s thing. I think he could pull that look off. Um, so yeah, Dave and I had this sort of like, we have this love of the, the look, the sensibility, the swashbuckling days, but also the game is cool. Dave used to work for the source. Like it's a lot more democratic and sort of populist than, than I think what you might gather from, from what, what kind of media is out there covering tennis. And I think you guys appreciate that, which is why I've been a fan of your show for a long time, you know, and I think we kind of saw like, oh, we can be kind of the cool kids in the stuffy world of tennis, but the stuffy kids in the cool general world of media. And if we can play our cards right, we can kind of sit in that in that really sweet spot and, and give people something great. So I think it was it just kind of I remember texting him after I read that an article about uh, Monocle and their business model and I said, This is it, tennis. We gotta do a magazine. And he said, Yeah. And I you know, I was a magazine major in college. I've been in media for you know, 15 years, he's a freelance tennis writer. It was just like, yep, this is our thing. So here we are. What's been the response to the launch so far? So far, so good. We're um, almost at 30% of our funding goal. We launched it three days ago. Um, I'm hoping to be halfway done by by a week in, and then if we can get it closed and maybe even overfunded, that would be great. Again, we're just selling subscriptions because we want to have a healthy base of people to send this thing to. Um, and a lot of people, at first, we were just only going to ship to the UK and you know, North America. And we got amazing influx of, of comments from Australia and India saying like, hey, what about us? What about us? And we're like, okay, we'll see if we can find the printer who'll quote us something reasonable. You know, basically we're we're ready to, to boogie. And we've gotten such good good feedback, tons and tons and tons of journalists saying like, can I write for you? Can we contribute? And a ton of people saying like, ah, oh, thank God, this has never existed. I, I will say this, my most encouraging sign was I went on our analytics to kind of see who was finding us and how, and a ton of people were finding us from Tennis Warehouse. And I was like, Tennis Warehouse? Oh, find some gear? <laughs> what is that? How are people finding us from Tennis Warehouse? And I tracked it down, and it's a forum. And, you know, you can see, like, the dark underbelly of the human psyche if you ever go on an yeah. internet forum. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, like, sort of clicking on the link with Dread. I was like, what is this going to be? And these guys were like, Hey, this actually looks really good. They've got the spelling right. The, the card looks like high quality. This seems cool. They name checked our Instagram and noted that we've been spending, you know, the past couple months building up this really cool archive of photos. And I was like, Oh my God, these guys get it. An internet forum gets it. If I can win over a random internet forum on tennis warehouse, I'm, I'm feeling confident that we can find basically the 5,000 people we need to find to make this idea real. So, so far I've been thrilled. I would love you know, to, to get cracking and get this thing to the printer so we can start working on issue two. So that's that's what's in my immediate future. And you have some uh, exciting perks on the Kickstarter. Do you want to talk about some of the uh, rewards for some of the big spenders? The big spenders, um, I'm actually about to add something else. So check back when you hear this. Um, hopefully it'll, I'll be able to announce it, uh, a partnership with, with somebody great um, is coming in into the mix. But yes, we have an amazingly beautiful limited edition poster our art director is a guy named Larry Buchanan who designs all sorts of wonderful things for 
Grantland and all, all sorts of um, great sports publications. So he's making something really great and collectible. We've got, if you would like, and this is not turning out to be as valuable as I was hoping, a, an appearance on the Main Draw <laughs> podcast with me for the low, low price of $250. I was thinking at least my mom would buy that one, but not so much. Right. <laughs> on the other hand, the le- the private lesson with me has nearly sold out, So that, and which is more money. So if somebody w- looking to work on their, you know, their ground strokes is, is welcome to, uh, to, to give me a shout out. And then we have a couple other things, um, uh, in the mix. We're going to have a few different launch parties. We're hoping to do one in New York, possibly one in LA, um, and then London as well. And if we can swing it, maybe Toronto and, uh, Newport. So people can come oh, and party with us. Yeah. We'll I'll see there which... in Toronto if you get here. <laughs> yes. I'm going to take Porter Airlines up there if just, if Justin Trudeau allows them to build their runway and then I'll <laughs> just give <laughs> you guys a ring. Very strong feelings about that runway. If they build I'm... that runway, they'll kill our favorite beach. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I won't and... root for the runway. I'm rooting for your beach instead. <laughs> And you can imagine we don't have many beaches up here. <laughs> no, it's like an endangered species, a Canadian beach. I mean, you guys can probably only use it once, like one time a year, but I don't want to. I don't want to imperil it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll have a few really, really good things. A few things are sold out. Like we had tickets to uh, the Aegon Classic in London that went really fast, uh, but we're going to add a few cool things in the next couple of days. So people should stay tuned. Okay, awesome. <sighs> Thank and... you, guys. This has been so great. Yeah, thank you. I'm so fascinated by this. I'm such uh, like an old school journalism nerd. And I feel like there's such a gap in, you know, in tennis media that having something to hold in your hand is really exciting. We also both started out as journalism majors at the same undergrad. We didn't know each other. and We ended up in other programs. (laughs) Well, maybe this could be a reason to come back. Come back to the fold. We're going to let you go because I imagine you're very busy. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank you guys so much. I'd love to join you anytime uh, and have you on the main draw for the low, low price of $250. No, I'm just kidding. But anytime you want to come talk tennis with uh, Chris and I, you're welcome to. Thank you so much, you guys. I'm looking forward thank to you. hearing the, you. your, your predictions. We, we try and stay away from predictions per se, but more like figuring out what's going on. Because we've been wrong way too many times. <laughs> we, used to, we used to fill out draws and do competitions. Oh, my God. That's so hard. I think I was the one who lost way too many times, and so I put an end to it. <laughs> yeah, a draw is just too, it's too many mistakes to make. You can't be right. Um, well, I would look forward to hearing your episodes, and uh, enjoy the clay season. Enjoy the culmination of the clay on, on the chair too. I will be watching, as I know you will, too. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Caitlin for coming on the show. Hope you enjoyed the interview. And now we're going to head into the women's draw. So, when we talk about women's draws in the past, what? <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm in Jamaica, you know what draws mean. Oh. So, when you say... Drawers. <laughs> that... Well, that's what we say. So <laughs> you said, when we talk about women's draws, I'm like, do we talk oh about women's God. draws? I didn't think so. Listen, getting back on topic, when we talk about women's uh, tournaments... Mm-hmm. We're talking about where is Serena and what does her draw look like? That That is the headline for the past 16, 17 years, right? <laughs> Basically. so Especially if you're you. <laughs> right. But this is what people are talking about. This is what they want to know. So Serena is the number one seed again for the m- many, many Grand Slams in a row at this point. And what do we think of her draw? Before we get to Serena, the way... WTA tennis has gone this year 
and you heard us talk about with Caitlin in the previous segment, the depth on the WTA tour that has resulted in so many different winners on tour, what people perceive as lack of rivalries, arrested momentum for certain players because you can't get on this big almighty run because you're running into all these players who can knock you off at any given time. The net effect of that is we get to Roland Garros and we're supposed to be looking at this draw and analyzing it and we're left with, well, fuck if I know. (laughs) For real. I looked at it today. I was like, uh, I'm struggling to make sense of it. There's a lot of talk about Serena. You want to get into Serena's draw? Yeah. So she... I can take this. I've got this. You've studied for the Serena Serena draw. Okay, okay. The talk about Serena's draw being difficult, mumbo-jumbo. I think it's well overblown. She's going to get Rybarikova in the first round. Okay. Potentially Mladenovic in the second round, who is mostly a doubles player at this point. I don't care. Nobody wants to say. Ivanovic in the fourth round. Okay. If it's not Miss Svitolina. Mm -hmm. Because to assume that Ivanovic is going to make it to the fourth round. (laughs) Is assuming quite a bit. Assuming quite a bit. And where people are really losing their minds over the Serena draw is Azarenka as the quarterfinal opponent. And I'm here to tell you there is nothing to fear but your own fear itself. (laughs) (laughs) Because Azarenka's best result at Roland Garros is a semifinal, which she's made once. And I believe that was 2013. She's only won one clay title in her career. Mm-hmm. Granted, she's made 10 finals. Three of them have been at premier events, twice in Madrid and one in Rome. She's lost nine finals she's won on nine clay? Cl- no. She's lost nine clay finals. Really? Yes. And I've long suspected, like I had this impression of her as just not a great clay court player and not somebody who could potentially threaten to win Roland Garros. Mm. And I didn't really have the numbers to back it up. And so I went searching and my findings make me really comfortable to say that Azarenka <laughs> will not win this tournament, nor is she guaranteed to make the quarterfinals to play Serena, having just come off a back situation that caused her to withdraw. I believe it was from Madrid, right? Um, She gave a walkover in Madrid to Chirico, right? Yes. She gave the walkover to Chirico in Madrid because of the back issue. And then showed up in Rome and lost in straight sets to Begu. And so all that momentum that she had coming off of Indian Wells and Miami, it's gone. I mean... That's not, you, that, that momentum doesn't automatically translate to clay to begin with. It's a change of surface. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different game. And she needed to have had those matches and the reps and the confidence on clay to be able to be a favorite for this tournament. And for me, she's not it. Okay. I mean, she's only played two tournaments on clay this year, and she's only won two matches. You know, so this is not ideal preparation. I mean, Azarenka is a top player and is someone who I believe can play herself into good form. Not on the level of someone like Serena, obviously, but, you know, I don't think she's a write-off. I think she'll get to the quarters easily, but I... I don't want to make predictions past that because I don't want to jinx my favorite. Mm-hmm. But this has not been ideal preparation, let's say. Now, she may not have momentum 
but I feel like the tennis public at large sees Azarenka as the biggest threat to Serena. And she is the odds maker's second favorite. On hard court, any given day of the week, mm-hmm. but I just really think Clay is a totally different story. And Serena's win in Rome will have her ready to whoop her ass. <laughs> in Paris. Uh, yeah. The bottom half, the bottom section of the top half of the draw <laughs> has so many matches that would have me getting up early in the morning to watch. We could potentially have a Venus Yankovic third round match, which historically has not gone well for Venus. <laughs> but just have Venus in a third round would be a success mm-hmm. in itself for me in Paris. To be totally honest, I, this is going to sound mean, but if Venus gets past Chirico in the second round, that'll be a huge achievement. At this stage in her career... With I, her injury situation, with Chirico's form... Sometimes I'm surprised that she even plays the French. Yeah. You know? Wimbledon is her shot, you know? so. But if Venus is healthy, a big if, there's no reason why if she finds some form, even on clay that she can't make it to the fourth round. If this were a grass draw, you'd be like, okay, uh, Venus, uh, hello, semifinal. I mean, why can't she get this draw at Wimbledon? Right? Because I don't know, like, what the hell is going on with Yelena Yankovic. I really don't. Uh, Tamea Baczynski has played herself into form on clay. See, I think she's someone to really watch at this tournament. She'd be my dark horse pick of the upper echelon of players to make a deep run she made a quarters in rome she made the 16s in madrid she won rabat did i pronounce it better this time rabbit i don't know (laughs) i really don't know she made the semis in miami and the 16s again in indian Wells. so she's been winning multiple matches at each tournament pretty regularly Mm -hmm. and she's recaptured that confidence from last year right she was a semi-finalist last year right yes and lost to a very sick and unhappy serena williams but i just i'm not sure that Baczynski is a player who's going to break through and take out those big names you mentioned you know she made a quarter a semi 16s in big tournaments like where you know where are the finals and the wins okay but who are the big players that she can't take out at this tournament before getting to serena in the semifinals well there's Kerber, Kerber in the quarterfinals. Yeah. Why is that not doable? Well, I, I'm not saying it's not doable, uh, but will she do it? I don't know, <laughs> which is why you know? this is kind of a futile exercise. But I'm saying if there's somebody who I think, based on track record and recent form, who could do it, it's her. Okay. Of all the top players, so few have had a stretch of tournaments like Tamea has where there isn't a first round loss. Right. No, Pretty much everybody true. has one, and she mm-hmm. doesn't. She's earned this spot, free from your undercutting, mister. <laughs> <laughs> I think a really intriguing section here is uh, a possible Kerber and Madison Keys round of 16, which a week ago I wouldn't have sniffed at. I would have saw, assumed that Kerber would just waltz her way through that on clay. But... Madison's run in Rome has got to give her confidence that she can compete on the surface. You know, that there's really no answering that power, even on clay. We shall see. We shall. (laughs) But I think, going back to Serena's section here, her quarter, aside from Azarenka, what's going on here, really? There's 
Sibokova, who's playing well. There's Svitolina or Ivanovic. See, I like Sibokova against Vika in that situation. Okay. I do. Uh, there's Mladenovic, who I don't really give a chance at all, against Serena in the third. Agreed. Uh, Suarez Navarro, who Serena has manhandled several times in majors. You know, I just don't... I don't know. Maybe this is hubris, but I don't think the draw is that bad. Virginia Rosano is back. How dare you utter that name? (laughs) She's a wild card. She made the quarters or semis this week in Nice or something like that. And so she's going to be up to like 170 in the world. (laughs) Okay. Uh, She got the wild card and she has a winnable first round match against qualifier Soylu from Turkey. Sorry, never heard of her. Yeah, I don't know. I assume that that's winnable. Rosano's won a few matches. So, I mean, just God help us if she has to face Serena in the semifinals. (laughs) I will be so unhappy. Mladenovic faces Schiavone in the first round. Ugh. Which I just wish Life I just is so wish unfair. Schiavone could get. Why couldn't she get some qualifier or wild card? Right? Well, I guess she is that qualifier or wild card. But it's just, it's so unfair when you She's see. She's direct entry, boo. She is? Yes. She's ranked in the 90s now. Okay. I'm just not ready to give up, to, to say goodbye to Grand Slam match winning Schiavone. I want her to win yeah. at least a couple rounds for a couple more years. And I love that her peer, Flavia Panetta, while she's retiring, Francesca's out here saying, no, I'm going to stay for a little while. I'm still having fun. You know, I'm still winning matches. And then Svitolina has to play Kirstea, who has been pretty much winning everything the last few weeks. She's on mm. such a run. That's unfortunate. <laughs> In my notes here, I have between, beside that matchup, I have oof. <laughs> <laughs> I have down at the bottom here, uh, what the fuck is this? Because uh, Zygamond has to play Bouchard in the first round, and then the winner of that will probably face Bichinski. So it's not a nice, it's really not a nice second round for a top eight seed in Bichinski. Bartoli, or Bartoli, oh my god. Bouchard had a big win recently, right? I can't remember. Really, I care so little that I don't really remember. Uh, but Zegamon had that amazing run earlier in the clay season at, help me out here, Stuttgart? Yeah, with Stuttgart. Sure. Yeah. So that's no fun for anyone. I feel like the bottom half is where this draw is going to completely fall apart. Well, for starters, Kvitova is in it, so that's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, at first I was... Uh, I was thinking Muguruza has a really easy run to the semis, but then I looked at it a little closer, and Kuznetsova is all the way up to number 13 in the world, is playing really well on clay. Buyukache is there, Mm -hmm. Makarva is there, who has played well recently. I mean, Petra has to play Pliskova in the third round, which is crazy because last year both of those players were top 10 players Mm -hmm. at one point. Plishkova's had a really dreadful year, and she's somebody who I had pegged to have a really breakout right? season this year, and it just hasn't happened. So Muguruza, to me, will probably make the semifinals, but it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. If you're going to have somebody as a break... When I'm looking at these quarters, I'm looking for people who could have real breakout 
tournaments, somebody like Vesnina, who's been playing well. Yeah. If the draw were to fall apart a little bit around her, Begu could do well. Svetlana could have a deep run. She could. Honestly, you mentioned Begu. She has a round three against Vinci, who's really been playing poorly lately. And same with Irani. That said, we'll get a Vinci-Irani semifinal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we will. And listen, I'm calling it now. The fourth quarter, Halep's quarter, is going to be completely decimated. Halep won Madrid. Yes. She won Madrid with a fairly insane draw. You know... (laughs) As far as... Well, basically all of the top players lost. And it was kind of whoever was left. Um, But Radwanska, for some reason, doesn't really excel on clay. Would you think she would? You know, looking at her game. Uh, But there are a lot of names here that I feel like could make a lot of noise. There's Safajeva, who's back, who won Prague on clay. Sloan could have a good run. You know, Sloan has had a really bad clay season, but it's hard to know what to expect from her. She's hit or miss. If she hits, she Mm -hmm. goes deep. Right. We have Sam Stozer in there, who's seated to play Safajwa in the third round. And but then Sam... Stozer, re- she had to withdraw this week. I know. She had a pretty untimely wrist injury, I think it was. So, I don't know. She it's she bad had timing. A... She'd been playing well. Yeah, she had a pretty good clay season. And I think she won 10 or 11 matches, which is more than most players have won. Uh, she ran into Halep at... Madrid and got like killed pretty bad. <laughs> I I I just look at this and I don't know what to say. Like I would not put money on anybody. No. On no one player of this entire 64 person draw on the bottom half <laughs> would I put money on right to make it even into the quarterfinals. And I mean for some people this really bothers them about women's tennis. You know, we hear this a lot. There's no real rivalries. Anybody can win. Da, 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 da. And okay, I get it. But there's a lot of depth in women's tennis. You know, there are a lot of players out here who want to win. And I enjoy the early round matchups that are difficult. Right? If you don't want to watch women's tennis, that's your business. Now, I do find it really difficult to come up with kind of main stories or big talking points for the women's tournament in general, much less so than for the men's. It's just that very few players have a lot of momentum going through the clay season. You know, it's hard to sort of chart these paths through the season, right? Uh, So probably the best players of the year so far have been Kerber, Azarenka, and Serena, right? Yes. Beyond that... Sloan as well. Yeah, At smaller tournaments, though. Still. Still. Beyond that, the women's draw is really, really difficult to predict. That's totally fine by me. Big picture, I don't think we have a whole lot more to add about the women's draw. But just to point out a few more of the notable first-round matches, Nicole Gibbs gets Heather Watson in the first round. Bethany Maddox-Sands gets Begu. Lucic Baroni and Daniela Hentukovo. What? Daniela made it all the way through qualifying, gave an interview not so long ago where she said, I don't care about retiring right now. I'm enjoying playing tennis. <laughs> Let me be. That is and a good match for her. straight out of 1999. Yep. And you know what? 
Halep would have to play Lucic in round three if she gets there. She beat her like, in the first round, right? Is this right? a joke? That was a first round loss for Halep, right? So second round, second, I think. Second round, yeah. At two different majors, though. Yeah. For some reason, Lucic Baroni is a real bugaboo. Yeah. Another one that sucks. Streetsova gets Radechka. Radechka okay. hasn't really been playing great singles for a while now. No. But still, she's made it through qualifying. That could be a little bit dodgy. Makarova and Lepchenko battling lefties in the first round. And there have been some rumors swirling around Lepchenko in the past week. I don't know if you've been hearing about it. I saw somebody say something about Lepchenko mm-hmm. on Twitter, and I tried to look out for it, and I couldn't find it. It had, does have to do with doping. It's about, a, you know, a possible silent doping ban. Yeah, so that adds another layer of intrigue to this match, I think. We have no idea is what that more Is that just speculation right now? I think so. We'll probably be back with you in a week for a mid-tournament episode. Unless Rafa or Serena lose, and you will never hear from me again. <laughs> Seriously, like, if Rafa and, and Serena retire at the end of this year, I think I might have to find a new podcast We're partner. Retire? How could you say that word? I'm just saying, if they were gone, okay. like, what would, you, would you be even watching tennis? What would I talk about? Like, we got two new reviews on iTunes after the last episode. Thank you both. They were lovely. Greatly appreciated. And please do give us a few more if you haven't yet already. You can find us on Twitter at the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm at SportsCribeCA. And I'm James at ElliotJMR. Two L's, two T's. Till next time.